Let's open our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. While you're doing that, what do you think about the uh, new courtyard features, the fountain and the fake grass? Pretty nice? Yeah. Now, the fountain, uh, everyone's asking me, this, I think this is a very silly question, but everyone's asking me, what are you going to do about the kids playing in the fountain? And I have a one-word answer to that. Parents. I don't understand why that's even a question, but if, if you do, let me know. Uh, so anyway, um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. The topic, Jesus gives one rule which we are to live by in his kingdom. The title of our message, One Rule to King Them All. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we go over again some scripture that's pretty familiar I pray that we would see it in the way that the Holy Spirit intends for us to see it this morning, having ears to hear what the Spirit says to us as Christians and to our church. Guide us through this, Lord, and may it be one of those times when we have a real connection with you, when you are speaking to us and we know it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. Throughout human history, gold has signified purity, beauty, and power. Calling something golden means it has great quality and value. For example, the golden ratio is something found in art and architecture and nature. It describes a rectangle with a length about one and one and a half times its width. Objects using this ratio in their design seem to please the eye more than others. Ancient Greek myths told of a time long ago when people lived in peace and happiness. Poets called it the golden age. A golden age now describes a historical period of great artistic, scientific, or economic progress. It can even recall a time of success and popularity for a particular industry, such as the golden age of radio. As we get older, we look forward to reaching our golden years. In 1604, a mostly unknown writer from Cambridge University named Charles Gibbon is the first person we know of to use the word golden to describe Jesus' words, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You understand Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you the golden rule. We call it the golden rule, and Gibbon was the first one to do that. And it immediately caught on. Everyone is familiar with the golden rule. What most people are unfamiliar with are the words that precede and end the golden rule. Jesus said in full, you see it there in verse 12, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Therefore means it is only possible to practice the golden rule if we heed what is revealed in the first 11 verses that precede it. The law and the prophets is a way of referring to the Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Keeping the golden rule involves obedience to everything in God's word and then some. Thus, it is impossible to keep the golden rule on our own without God's supernatural strength. The golden rule has at its heart helping others. If I want to be a help, a real help to my fellow man, I need to maintain a certain spiritual state and I need to obtain spiritual strength. And so I'll organize my thoughts around the following two points. Number one, you are to maintain a spiritual state in which you can be of help to others. And number two, you are to obtain the spiritual strength by which you can be of help 
to others. First of all, let's look at the first six verses about our spiritual state. Have you heard of planking? How many of you know what planking is? A couple of you. It's a recent photo fad which involves lying face down with arms to the sides in public places, photographing the scene, and then sharing the picture online. One of the brothers in the church sent me a planking shot a few months ago of him on top of a uh, newspaper uh, dispenser, planking. It was, it was kind of cute. People do it all over the place. Now, I know it's stupid, but that's what people are doing. We have all this fabulous technology in your hand, and you're planking. Now, I want to hijack that term planking to describe what Jesus talked about in the first five verses, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. But let's start in verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. The most often misapplied words in all of the Bible might be judge not. They are the first response anytime you confront someone with their sin who is refusing to repent. Judge not, lest you be judged. You, it's impossible for you to judge me. Well, there are plenty of verses that tell us to judge or act in judgment. Let me mention a few. When disputes arise between believers, they should be settled in the church before members who judge the matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The local church is to judge serious sins of its members and take the appropriate action. Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Believers are to judge the doctrinal teachings of teachers and preachers of the Word of God by the Word of God, Matthew 7 and 1 Corinthians 14. And those in the church must judge which men have the qualifications necessary for elders and deacons, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If Jesus wasn't forbidding all judging, then he must have been forbidding a certain type of judging. Verse 2, for with what uh, judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus was talking about measuring ourselves by our own standards against others and judging them as deficient in order to feel superior to them. Jesus had begun the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember, by referencing the behavior of the Pharisees. With regard to judging, the Pharisees were constantly comparing themselves to others and concluding by their external measures that they were superior. They looked down on others, not to lend them a hand up, but to exalt themselves. This type of judging is summed up in the words of the Pharisee who said in the Gospel of Luke, God, I thank you, I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's the kind of judging that Jesus is talking about. It would have been very familiar to his hearers because this was the attitude of the Pharisees whose righteousness they were to exceed. This man and others like him established his own standard of righteousness, then measured others by it in order to seem superior to them. Consider two things about this type of judging in general. Number one, other people are never who we should be measuring ourselves against by our own standards. We should measure ourselves using God's standards. And number two, if we are judging others by our own standards to make ourselves seem superior, we're not really in a state to help those who have spiritual needs. We will disdain them, look down on them, or at the very least, if we try to help them, we're going to give them a very, very bad example of how to walk with the Lord. We're not going to be a good Christian example to them if we hold ourselves up as superior uh, in different ways. 
Instead of using a measure, we ought to look into the mirror. Verse three, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so here it is, the Pharisees were planking, but not the way we do it today. Anyone who planks in this sense is a Pharisee at heart. This is an example of Jesus' humor. It reminds me of those scenes in silent comedies where somebody's carrying a long plank, you remember? And then they keep turning around and knocking people off beams and hitting things, and they seem oblivious to what they're doing. And it's meant to be funny. And this is, this is a very serious topic, but Jesus says this is how ridiculous this type of judging is. Obviously, a person with a giant plank coming out of his eye cannot help remove a tiny speck in someone else's eye. Now, think about it for a minute. Their problem is they don't see the plank in their own eye. They would see it if they looked in the mirror. Have you ever looked in the mirror late in the day only to discover you've had broccoli stuck between your teeth all day and no one told you, none of your friends, it's terrifying. The similar situation one time, and I, poor guy, guys, you know, you shave, you cut yourself shaving, you got all those little nicks and stuff, and so I was at a function, it was a kind of a formal function, uh, law enforcement function, and this dear chaplain friend of mine, he was there, and he, he looked like he'd been attacked by Jack the Ripper. I mean, he put his white collared shirt on uh, and tied his tie while he was still bleeding. And I mean, he had blood dripping down. It, it, was, it was almost, I almost couldn't eat lunch. It was, it was just, and um, uh, obviously he didn't look at himself. He, you know, I, I can't tie my tie without looking in the mirror. I, I have to kind of gauge things. Um, but um, in fact, I can't even tie it unless I'm facing east. But, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a habit. But uh, anyway, which way is east, you know? But uh, he, and, and I thought, why say anything to him at this point? Because there's obviously nothing he can do just as somebody, hey, what'd you do? Kill yourself and stuff. And then he ran to the bathroom and then there was nothing to, he's embarrassing and stuff. But this is the idea. This is why you look at yourself in the mirror every now and then because things happen throughout the day. And, and you'd like to know. Nobody wants to be smiling with sesame seeds, you know, or, or whatever gets stuck between your teeth. And so, the mirror we are to look into, it's God's word. You know that. The Apostle James used the analogy of the mirror as the word of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And so I look into the mirror of the Word, and with the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit, I'm being changed to become more and more like my beautiful Lord. You already know the word hypocrite was used of actors who wore a mask to portray their character. They would hold the mask up, and then the audience would know what character they were playing. If you measure yourself by others, you're playing a part, you're acting out a role, you're wearing a mask of your own self-righteousness. Now, I want you to notice something. It's very important. Your brother in this illustration really does have a speck in his eye. There's something wrong. 
You know that something in your physical eye can be slightly irritating or it could be damaging, leading to blindness. It's serious. Some of you have had eye injuries, cut your cornea, you know, things like that. I always get freaked out. I haven't had very many, and I think I've only had one or two, but I always get freaked out with MRIs because they always ask you, do you work with metal? You know, and maybe metal shavings got in your eye and it's gonna suck them out of your eye, you know, and stuff. <laughs> oh, I went in to see my kidney stone and now I'm blind. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, your eye is a very, you just don't like it when your eyes are irritated. Why is it that when your eyes are irritated, the first thing you wanna do is rub it? and really scratch it up, you know? And so it's, eye stuff is, is serious. And so, yeah, this guy's got a plank in his eye. He's planking, but your brother really does have a speck. Your brother needs help. But you won't be any help if you are planking. You need to maintain a spiritual state in which you can be of help to others. Verse six, don't give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. To which we say, what? Where in the world did that come from? Well, let's establish who Jesus meant by dogs and swine. The apostle Peter was there listening to this on the mount. Later, he would write two letters that we have in the Bible. In his second letter, he talked about dogs and swine. He said they were those who once professed belief in Jesus Christ, but who turned away. We call it apostasy. They turned away from Jesus and returned to their natural state. He said they were like dogs returning to their own vomit, and like swine returning to wallowing in the mud. In other words, they did what was in their nature. They appeared to be Christians for a while, then they fell away from the Lord, they willfully turned their back on the Lord and apostatized and revealed what they truly were all along, dogs and swine. If you are mirroring rather than measuring, seeking to be of real spiritual help to others, you'll also encounter folks who turn out to be dogs and swine. In their case, you need to have discernment so as to not be led astray by their errors and become involved in their sin. One commentator said, we are sheep, but we shouldn't let others pull the wool over our eyes. There's an entire letter in the New Testament dedicated to warning you not to be led astray by apostates. It was written by Jude who said, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he exhorts us as believers. He says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look at it this way. It's wrong to be judgmental like a Pharisee because then you are in no position to be of any real spiritual help to those who are in need. But it's just as wrong to refuse to judge folks who are apostates and keep trying to help them. It diminishes the gospel and it can put you at risk. 
It's compared to taking meat sacrificed to the Lord, that's what he means by what is holy, and feeding it to dogs, and not your pet. The dogs Jesus was talking about are wild dogs that roam around. If you've ever uh, traveled in the third world, you know what I'm talking about. There's just mangy dogs everywhere eating garbage and anything else that they can get their hands on, like you. I'm always terrified. I, I, can I share something with you? You probably know this. I'm afraid of all animals. Almost all animals. Birds I can handle until they get to be the size of a blue jay. And then that's a little bit too big. I feel like they're going to peck my eyes out. And so when I used to travel more in the Philippines and Honduras and places less privileged than the United States and there were dogs around, I, I knew I was going to get bitten and have rabies. I mean, I just knew it. And they're just mangy, muddy dogs, and that's what we're talking So Jesus said, you wouldn't take the meat that you sacrificed to the Lord and, and give it to a scavenging dog. And he said, you wouldn't cast pearls before swine. Now, some of the grain foods, the solid grain foods swine ate were about pearl size. If they were to eat a pearl, they would simply spit it out because they can't chew it. It had no value to them, even though it was incredibly valuable. Nothing in these verses should confuse us, but applying it can certainly confound us a bit. Since my heart can be so deceitful, how do I know when I am measuring rather than looking into the mirror? If I'm mirroring like I should, how do I go about performing the delicate surgery of removing the speck from my brother's eye without doing any harm? And since other men's hearts can be so deceitful, how do I know when I am working with apostates who are seeking to draw me away from the living bread and the living water Jesus is providing me back into vomit and mud? Well, to answer any of those questions, I'm going to need to obtain spiritual strength and empowering from the Lord. The answer is, I can't answer those questions on my own. I need to seek the Lord. And in verses 7 through 12, you're to obtain that spiritual strength. Now, these next few verses encourage you to pray. At first glance, they may seem to introduce an entirely new subject. But if you are following the Lord's train of thought, you see how vital a reminder to pray is just at this point. I won't be of any help to others, and I will put myself at risk if I don't stay in utter and complete dependence upon God. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who asks uh, seeks finds, excuse me, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, I read all of those verses because we need to study them backward from what God wants to give us back to how it is obtained. Jesus was blowing minds by constantly portraying God as a father who is similar to but far superior to earthly fathers. The Jews were never taught to have that kind of intimacy with God. God as father wants to give good things to those who ask him. That's a given. The NIV translates good things as good gifts. In Luke's gospel, Jesus specifies that God wants to especially give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who are asking and seeking and knocking. 
And so what I'm being promised here is that if I depend upon God, he will, by his Holy Spirit and many related gifts, help me to look into the mirror of his word and be enabled to help others without being stumbled by those who turn out to be dangerous apostates. That's, that's what's being promised in context. A lot has been made by commentators about the present tense continuous asking, seeking, knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. If we're not careful, it almost makes it seem as though God doesn't want to respond unless we are pestering him. But that doesn't jive with him being our heavenly father who is more generous in every way than the best earthly father. I mean, Jesus can't be saying, your father is better than any earthly father and wants to give you all kinds of good gifts, and he will if you really pester him. I mean, if you get his attention off of, you know, trying to figure out earthquakes and stuff, then, then he'll, okay, you can have what you want. And that doesn't make sense. And so we're never pestering God. I think Jesus was emphasizing a continual setting of our heart and affections towards a dependence upon God that keeps us in constant communication. If I'm totally dependent upon him, I'm always going to be asking, am I not? Now, when you and I hear this word ask, what do we immediately think of? Well, probably what we call a prayer request. When people say, well, let's ask God, I think, well, that's a prayer request. It's something we're asking God to grant or to do on our behalf or for someone else. But the word itself is a more general word. It could therefore refer to all kinds of asking. Your kids, don't they ask a lot of questions when they're little? They're not always asking for something in the sense of a request. Sometimes it's just communication as they ask you to answer questions or to explain things. They're just really asking you about things, trying to figure out how the world works. Sometimes they ask you to play games with them for that matter. I know that this is, most of you do this with little kids. You know, my granddaughter loves this. She goes, you know, she has all kinds of just crazy games, you know, that she's singing games. Let's sing this. Now, I can't follow it, but I have to do it anyway. Or, you know, let's go through the alphabet. You know, you start with A, aardvark, B, bat, C, cat, you know, and that kind of a thing. And so they're asking you, but, but it's no big deal. It's not a request. So really, this is an encouragement to talk to God all the time about everything. Someone has suggested that seeking is asking plus acting upon any answers you might receive. As I spend time in communication with, or as we would like to say in communion with my father, I'm prompted and led to certain acts and behaviors and responses. If seeking is asking plus acting, then knocking is asking plus seeking plus persevering. At any one moment in my walk with God, I'm asking him for or about many things. He'll lead me and guide me in some specific things. I should respond obediently and seek to fulfill them in his power. But I'll also find myself struggling with some things, wondering why, maybe even doubting him and not understanding how all things can possibly work together for the good. Nevertheless, I persevere, knocking as it were. I guess what I'm suggesting is that rather than always seeing these three things as a progression to pester God to help me, I see them as three simultaneous descriptions of my constant communion with God, my heavenly Father who wants to give me good things. I'm asking him, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, all at the same time. Either way, 
What Jesus was promising was spiritual strength to accomplish what is impossible apart from God, and that is applying verse 12, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, I point out that the law and prophets are shorthand for God's entire word. The golden rule in no way cancels out the commandments in the law and the character of the prophets. It upholds them and it fulfills them. You can no easier keep the golden rule than you can keep every jot and tittle of the law. It is equally impossible unless you are a Christian indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. It's important to realize the impossibility of keeping the golden rule apart from being saved because so many people think that all humanity needs to do is follow some version of it and societies will be transformed into utopias. The truth is you need to transform the heart and then a person is enabled to keep the rule. If you do studies on the golden rule, the scholars like to point out that ancient societies from the very beginning of human history had some version of the golden rule, usually put in a negative way. But, you know, and so they're saying it's kind of a universal human principle that we all just need to live by. And I'm telling you what Jesus said, you cannot implement this on your own. You just won't do it because you're a hell-doomed sinner. You need to be saved and have his strength and power. As to the golden rule, one commentator said it best when he wrote the following words, put yourself in another's place and then act to him as you would wish him to act towards you in the same circumstances. This is a right royal rule, a precept always at hand, always applicable, always right, Here you may be a judge and yet not be judging others, but judging for others. This is the sum of the Decalogue of the Pentateuch and the whole sacred word. Oh, that all men acted on it. And then there would be no slavery, no war, no sweating, no striking, no lying, no robbing. But all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law. We adore the king out of whose mouth and heart such a law could flow. This one rule is a proof of the divinity of our holy religion. The universal practice of it by all who call themselves Christians would carry conviction to Jew, Muslim, and infidel with greater speed and certainty than all the apologies and arguments which the wit or piety of men could produce. Lord, teach it to me. Write it on the fleshly tablets of my renewed heart. Write it out full in my life. Here's a slightly less eloquent way of illustrating it. If I obey the posted speed limit, I am certainly keeping the law. When I stop to help a stranded motorist, I'm going beyond the law and applying the golden rule. If life is a highway, there are stranded motorists all around you. Stay in communion with God so he can use you to reveal his love to them. Let's pray.